everyone. Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. My name is Paul Ponte. I am joined today by Kenny K. How are we doing today? Doing well. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. There's only thing that's safer than an Indie Handshake is an Indie Handshake over Zoom. How are we doing today? Well, I'll give you the pinky. There you go. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing, the Indie Handshake, and thus yeah. the name of the podcast. <laughs> Kenny, uh, we... You know, you've been wrestling here in the NorCal scene for a while now. You took a little bit of a break, but then you came back, came back strong, wrestling multiple promotions. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's talk about how you got started in watching wrestling and really importantly, how you learned what independent wrestling was. All right. Um, I guess I um, started to get into wrestling uh, when I was in fifth grade, I would say, Uh, probably around fifth grade. Um, I remember uh, very distinctly going to a toy store or something like that um, and seeing the, those foam belts on the, on the walls hanging there and remembering that I was mocking that it, why would anybody <laughs> buy these things and uh, why would anybody care about any of this crap. And then it's probably, you know, a couple months later, I had, you know, friends that were into wrestling and then that's how I got into it. <clears throat> Uh, specifically one, one of my closer friends when I was in fifth grade, we were really into wrestling and he was into, uh, WWF. And then he kind of introduced me into, uh, WCW. And that's what I ended up mainly watching, but he was a big, uh, mankind fan. So, uh, so we were, uh, so naturally he would, you know, encourage wrestling, you know, during recess. So, uh, that's kind of how it started rolling as far as doing it. Um, even, even back then in fifth grade, we would just go, you know, back out in the field and we would, you know, fake moves or whatever that kids did back then and still probably do now. Um, uh, and as far as uh, going forward from there, um, it just kind of grew obviously. And then, uh, once you realize that landing on the ground hurts uh, too much, then you start to kind of move on to some other form of <laughs> mat or pad or whatever. But, uh, we know we, our group of gra- uh, friends grew. So, uh, I had a trampoline in my backyard and I was always on the trampoline when I was uh, younger. So I figured that was a natural way to go. So we formed a, um, backyard wrestling federation like any other kid would do called ETW extreme trampoline wrestling. Yeah. Very nice. And then, uh, so you, where did you get started training at and how did you discover, you know, that there was this whole other wor- world in wrestling besides the mainstream? So training became, uh, came very, very later. So, um, I mean, I, it depends on what you mean by training, I guess, if you mean informal training or professional training, because informally, I mean, uh, we got to a point where we, you know, we had the trampoline, then we got older, then we got heavier from the trampoline. Then we moved to my other friend's backyard who had mattresses because, you know, there were lot more supportive than a trampoline in springs. Uh, and then we realized that was kind of dirty and we were getting older. And uh, so we invested in a, in a training ring. So that's where I actually learned most of my initial wrestling skills and bumping and whatnot, just watching and practicing on this training ring that we all pitched in on and put together because uh, we were putting on a local access TV show that I was editing And uh, we wanted to move away from mattresses and look more professional. So that's how we got the ring. Um, So from there, my, we, our group of friends grew because we were on like local access TV. So people started knowing the backyard and where we were at. So they would come by and watch or, or ask questions or whatever. And then um, uh, our group of friends grew from there. So my buddy, Travis, 
who um, who actually knew Rick Luxury um, and the Suburban Commandos and uh, you know Chupacabra and all those guys back then. He introduced me to all of them at the time, and that was uh, Brawl Wrestling currently uh, at the time. And that's uh, that's how I got kind of involved in professional wrestling because I um, I figured, hey, if I got a professional ring here, I might as well kind of start transitioning into the real thing. If I'm already, you know, stepping my foot in there, I might as well learn how to do it correctly and then eventually go on to work in front of people and an actual audience. What was the first uh, stumbling block or first shock of when you started doing it a little bit more professionally uh did you think oh there's also this part of it that i never thought of before like what what were those moments um i i would say that the 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 physical aspect is always going to be the main shock i would say just but i think i i crossed that hurdle just because we had the ring and we kind of had a lot of time to play around in it anyway um but i would say that maybe the training that leads up to it heat night the the initiation into the wrestling world is something that was uh something that i didn't know about um and as far as later on that was i think it's all pretty self-explanatory i mean you're an independent contractor you're in it for yourself you get what you put in how about like stuff like wrestling psychology or like locker room oh okay etiquette? yeah that's a that's a good one so i mean i could tell you right out of the bat that i didn't know how to put together a match till probably you know till I started back up again, you know, really put together a match correctly and, and with thought rather than just going in there, which is what I previously did when I was younger and just go, Oh, I like this move. I like this move. I want to do that. I want to do this. And I want to do that rather than working it in, in a, in a constructive way that makes sense throughout the, the match, you know? It's like when you're creating a wrestler on a video game and you're like, one of my, one of my basic moves is a diamond cutter. The second, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even, even this, to make it simpler, if you're putting together a, a custom character and the, you know, your, your character is, is something very specific, he's supposed to be yourself, but now you're putting a, you know, a banana helmet on him and, you know, you know, gloves like a Freddy Krueger gloves or something else. Like it, it's gotta be cohesive and make sense. And it's the same thing with a wrestling match. You can't just throw it's it's I say this all the time. I mean, that's kind of why I stick to backbreakers and and the spine, because it creates the psychology for me. I don't have to work too hard about it, you know, and that's that's my go to and expertise. That's what I know how to do. And regardless of people who may have no may know my moves or know how to scout my moves or you know, no ways around them or know that I'm going to go for their back because that's, you know, that's, I'm not hiding it. Um, I have multiple other ways of getting around it or moving around it. So I, I, I welcome the the attempt at trying to get around me trying to kill you back. You know what I mean? So that's the, fun yeah, thing it, it creates a story in itself. Is that like, now exactly. you're wondering how is this person going to, going to try to dodge these back attacks then how is he going to end up getting around and getting to it anyway exactly yeah and, and and a lot of times these days what i see is is generally people are wrestlers but they don't have a direction as far as their match goes so that you'll see a lot of cool stuff in the match and maybe it makes a little bit of sense but then they'll finish it with a frog splash or a super kick or you know some or you know something so insignificant to when they were maybe super kicking their head off or ddting their face and then they do a submission on the ankle you know, it, it, that's the kind of stuff like I, I get the out of nowhere aspect of it sometimes, but that's what is happening. I think a lot now is where there's no real consistency anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, when I interviewed uh, Luke Hawks, and Luke Hawks is a pretty good friend of mine, and he he even says he goes, you know, I used to do like four fifty splashes and like all this, like all this stuff, and he's like, and I can still do those. He's like, but that's not my style anymore. So I don't do them. And like, like, cause he's transitioned to like, you know, obviously now he's jacked to the gills. So like to him, he's like, I'm like a power guy. Who's like, I'm no flash. I'm like, you know, Mr. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. So because of that, it doesn't make sense for him to pull out a move that everyone will go, Oh, to, because he's like, that's not his character. That's not who he is. So, you know, there, there's certain things like that where sometimes wrestlers do moves that you're kind of like, I don't know if that makes you a heel or a face, depending on the kind of move you do. Like, if I see a face and he rakes someone's eyes, I'm kind of like, should you yeah. be should you be raking someone's eyes? You know, I mean, I don't know. It's I just, draw a fine line between heel and face. Like the the, the the philosophy I have on heel and face is that um, you you're a heel or face to the opponent, not to the crowd. Mm. I mean, as far as me goes, as, as an independent wrestler who makes money off of merchandise and very little money off of, you know, whatever they pay me to wrestle, I generally try to heal or face whatever the, the opponent I have in the ring. How that is perceived by the audience and how they take that in and like it or dislike it, I could care less. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. up to them how they want to digest it. But um, I am this character. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because, you know, I listen to a lot of old school wrestling podcasts like Arn Anderson's and stuff like that, where they talk about like, oh, yeah, back in the day, heels just didn't sell merchandise. You just didn't because nobody would buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's they also got paid a premium. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and now it's a different story, you know, like after matches, uh, you know, pretty much any uh, promotion, you know, you get to meet and greet the wrestlers and buy merch from no matter heel or face. Everyone's out there because, hey, you got to make money like Plain and simple. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, you kind of think about it, it's kind of bad to be like, well, you're a heel, so you shouldn't go out there and sell stuff back in the day. And you're like, well, be kind of nice if, you know, they could pay for their gas home. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and even that, it's, it's, why shouldn't they be able to? I mean, people buy Darth Vader merchandise. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't, you know, are we, are we supposed to not buy any Darth Vader merchandise because he's some sort of genocidal killer? Yeah. <laughs> Still got a cool mask, though. Yeah, literally, Boba Fett's the one of the biggest selling merchandise things ever, and he's literally and he didn't do anything. He, he didn't do anything. <laughs> he he, Mister Magooed himself into a pit, and that's what happened. So you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So uh, what about the other stuff, such as like locker room etiquette, and like you know, the, a lot of especially when you're dealing with wrestling, you're going to deal with multiple age groups of people, especially in the indie scene. You'll be wrestling people that are in their fifties, all the way down to someone who's seventeen years old. And he's just starting. So yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff about locker room etiquette and what's proper and saying hi to everyone, all that stuff. What was your experience like with that? And then what was like the learning curve? Um, So my experience, like I said, so I I was pretty indoctrinated in the wrestling world uh, through friends and stuff like that. Um, As far as the etiquette goes, I mean, when I was starting and I was training, most of my trainers and people I wrestled with were in the older age group. There wasn't there wasn't really that many young people. You know, I think the the people that were around my age at the time, wise guy, uh, you know, people like that, that, that's that's like, man, that's all I can remember really at the time that's still around, you know? Um, so they were all in the older age group and I like to think of myself as a pretty respectable person to begin with. So I'm, I'm generally, I try to introduce myself to everybody. That was new for me because I'm, I'm, 
I'm, I was shy when I was younger. So going up to each individual person and sometimes intimidating people and saying, Hey, you know, and also not going in and interrupting their conversation or they're getting dressed or they're having a drink or whatever the hell else they're doing that, you know, you could be pissing them off with because that's generally what ends up happening with, with the wrestling world where you, when you start growing up or growing up in the wrestling world, you get this walking on eggshells kind of feeling a lot of times uh, because you don't know what's right or what's wrong. And so, so you're very fidgety and it comes across and you can see it, you know, that's why you can be called green or whatever. <laughs> um, but um, so my, my trainer, mostly uh, uh, Pogo the clown, Joe Applebomber coach, big, big guy, um, pretty intimidating. So I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of issues <laughs> other than, you know, once I got, uh, once I was trained by him and all those guys there, uh, nobody else really intimidated me that much or, you know, worried me that much. And they taught me a locker room etiquette really well in the sense that, you know, you need to be respectful of the veterans in the, in the locker room. You need to close your mouth you need to listen and, and, you know, you need, regardless of what the information they say, just take it, you know, receive the information. You don't have to go, well, I was, I was trying to do this or, you know, that, that happens all the time where, where somebody comes and tells you something or you tell them something and they're like, well, I was, you know, and I thought this, and it's like, just, just listen, take it in and take it for what you will. And that was probably one of the biggest learning curves, I think for me as a younger kid too, because you have that ego where you're like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. I can do everything, you know, but just being able to understand that you take the information in, listen to it, whether or not you, you know, use that information later is up to you, but just receive the information because somebody that's telling you that information has had years of experience and knows a lot more than probably you do. And regardless of if that was on the local independent scene or the way higher independent scene, it, they're going to know things that you don't know. I learn new stuff all the time, you know, and that's one of the the beautiful things about professional wrestling. There's so much stuff to always learn. Yeah. And knowing about, you know, uh, if there's someone that's going to straighten you out, uh, Apple bomber is one of those people. <laughs> yeah, he's a, uh, I love that guy. He's, he's very, but he's, he could be intense for sure. Yeah. Uh, so he, I mean, he was, he was one of them, but, uh, I don't know if you remember DJ Riz, uh, mm-hmm. back from then, he was probably the one that straightened me out the most. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you think Apple bomber was, you know, one there, but that was just one of the, pillars yeah. <laughs> of straining out. So um, I, I would say from DJ Riz, I, I learned a lot. Um, I learned more of the, the fight back. Don't let people just take advantage of you. That's, that's probably the biggest learning curve uh, as far as, you know, being able to pull it off and doing it in the ring and getting it, you know, a certain way, because it can only be taught some certain ways, you know, <laughs> you can only tell somebody, Hey, don't let somebody take advantage of you for so long. You know, but if you go to training and some dude keeps beating the crap out of you for 20 minutes over and over and you're like, what the fuck? What am I doing wrong? Yeah. All he wants to do is want you to fight back. (laughs) And did that happen in a real match situation at all? Oh, yeah. All the time. Yeah. And what's your what's your go to receipt move? Um, I don't know if I have a go to receipt move. Um, I, I generally try to go with whatever makes sense. Um, if, if the person, I mean, okay, go to receipt move is probably a kick. I have a Taekwondo background, so it's some sort of kick. There you go. Yeah. A good example is, is, um, I had, this is a good story. Um, 
I love this guy. <laughs> I love this guy, but I had a, I had a cauliflower ear and uh, I got surgery on it. So I got stitches and uh, I taped it up to keep wrestling. I made sure to, I made it pointed out, right. I, I, I was very specific. I think it was about five or six times in after it was grabbed, yanked, whatever, that I kicked him so hard in the shoulder that his arm went so limp that he, you know, he thought he broke it or so. It's just, it's, it's just one of those things. I, and that wasn't something that's something I normally do. I don't, I don't really believe in receipts all that much. You know, I, I. Well, I think there's a difference between like a general, like he fucked up. Okay. I don't need to fucking kill him just because he fucked up. But yeah, you know, yeah. that that's different than someone purposely trying to be an asshole. Then you're like, wait, yeah, yeah. Hey man, like I'm here. <laughs> like, you yeah, know, and that, that scenario wasn't even him doing anything purposely. It's all heat in the moment. You know, you, it's, it's hard to remember not to grab somebody's ear. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's all these little things. I get it. I totally understand. But then, you know, it, it's that, it's that tipping point where I'm like, oh shit, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's, and that just, and that happens a lot in, in wrestling and everybody's threshold is different. So that's, that's why, that's why I like to be pretty cool throughout. Like, you know, it's, I'm not trying to hold anybody accountable for anything that they did on accident. You know what I mean? That's it, accidents happen, you know, but be professional about it. That's, that's my main thing is be pre professional and, and own up to, to the things you do. That's all. Yeah. Wrestling's weird like that, where, you know, like anytime people go like, Oh, the, this match, it became a shoot, right? Like there was a big one recently on AEW, uh, Ivelisse and Thunder Rosa. They're like, Oh, this match turned into a shoot, but every match that turned into a shoot at some point, goes back to being a wrestling match like because yeah. even if it's even if it's a shoot and they're really starting to punch each other out of nowhere someone still does like a vertical suplex and you're like well this isn't a shoot anymore <laughs> you yeah, know what i mean like it's, there's it's a, a difference weird between a shoot match and i, I don't see this there's, there's the thing it's like if, if you ever seen a match of mine going to a shoot match it wouldn't it wouldn't go back to a regular match it would yeah. me be kicking the crap or kicking the kneecaps out of whoever the fuck is fucking with me and then i'd leave yeah you know what I mean? Like I have no obligation after that point. I don't care. After the professionalism breaks down in this ring, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not, not risking my body anymore, you know, especially for the peanuts that yeah, whatever exactly. place is giving you <laughs> for the hot dog and a handshake. I mean, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that anymore. I mean, I, I get paid better now, but yeah, know, back when you were, when you're starting out, it's a different story. So let's go into, uh, you took an extended break after, uh, starting out for a few years. Uh, what led up to that? And then what ultimately brought you back in? You know, the Godfather three style, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I mean, I never knew that. I never thought that I was going to stop anyway. Uh, it, it was, it was out of force. So um, I, I got a job and that job was 40 hours straight on the weekends. So from Friday at midnight to Sunday at four. So no wrestling shows ever. <laughs> and as soon as I got, out of that job and I was able to go back to weekends, I started wrestling again. And that was basically it. That stint that I took a break in. Uh, and, and I'm, there's some benefits that definitely came out of it for sure. Because, uh, when I stopped, I was getting some severe sciatica, tailbone issues. I was doing stupid stuff when I was younger. You know, I, I told people to move out of suicide dives, you know? Um, so I, that was the main one I can probably, uh, trace back the, the, the back injuries to is the, you know, landing on the basketball floor from a suicide cone helo. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, but that's that. So that kind of healed everything up. And then I think a lot of, I got to digest a lot. I think when you take breaks from things or you take a step back from a lot of things, even now, 
uh, you're able to maybe evaluate or change or think about things differently. So even now I've even just the other day, I was thinking, Oh, these some cool ways to adjust my new move sets or something like that, you know, makes things different. Um, but you get to heal and you, and your body has new capabilities too. So that's also a different story. So, um, that, that break was mainly because of a job and then, uh, bringing it back was just because I wanted to, you know, I, I never wanted to really stop in the first place. I'm curious about, uh, just something off of what you just said about, uh, evaluating your move sets and everything. Has there been anything outside of wrestling that has given you an idea for something to do in the ring or a move? That's the only place I look for wrestling move ideas. I don't, I don't watch wrestling. <laughs> I, I watch local wrestling and the matches that are at the venues that I'm wrestling at. There's a couple reasons for that. One, I just got a little disenfranchised with wrestling. It just, yeah. And then two, I don't want to be tainted by anybody else's style. I think I have too much of other people's style in me already that I don't want somebody to look at me and go, Hey, that looks like AJ styles or, Hey, that looks like, um, you know, this guy or that guy, whatever. It doesn't matter. I want to be, I want people to look at me and go, that's him. You know, that's very specifically him because that was another thing that was taught to me was don't ever do stuff. That's going to make you remember somebody or make somebody else remember them. You know, the, that's, that's the opposite of what you're trying to do, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I try to stay away from signature moves or anything else like that, that are very specific other people stuff. Um, sorry, what was your question again? What was oh no, it's just uh, where, have, where have you found like inspiration for moves? And stuff oh, okay. Like? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So yeah. Movies. I mean, Ong Bak is probably the first one that I can give you. Uh, Chupacabra would probably tell you the same. Um, he took, I remember when we both watched that movie and we both did moves from the movie, uh, in our matches. So he did, uh, do you remember when he walked across the dude's shoulders mm-hmm. and then like he jumped off the, yeah, Chupacabra did that one. And then, um, I think I, I, the moonsault into the double knees onto the guy's chest is one of my signature moves that I've been doing ever since I was 16. Nice. Yeah, I love that. Like Scott Loss said, uh, he got his idea for like this corner stomp thing he does from Batman, the animated series in the intro. He's like, Oh, I really loved when Batman jumped on the guy and then he rolled away from him and like, well like that. He's like, so he's like, so I made a move where I was in the corner and the guy ran up and I would stomp on his chest and I would roll off of him. And he's like, he's like, Oh, it was my favorite thing to do. And I was like, I love stuff. Like like Vinny Massaro said he got it from like Tekken. He got, he got a bunch of stuff. So I get, I think mine, mine are very movie and video game related. Uh, John Wick. I take a lot of inspiration from John mm. Wick. I think a, a more my more recent stuff is very grounded. So it's very martial arts grounded or judo or MMA grounded because that's kind of where I see everything going. Um, whereas, you know, back then you were like, all right, well, what's the most superhero move that I can do that looks the coolest? So yeah, I, I try to, I, movies, video games, stuff like that is where I get a lot of my moves from. But I try to combine them and make make things that are very unique again. So it's just, so you're thinking of me and you're not like, Hey, that's that, you know? Yeah. Well, that was one thing I loved watching. Like when I used to work for APW back in the day, that's why I loved Vinny Vinny Massaro's matches because he constantly did random stuff that you're like, what is that? I've never seen that before. He's always come up with some crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so like that, that made me remember him, you know? I mean, like he was wearing camo pants and a FUBU jersey. Like, (laughs) you know, he had terrible gear. (laughs) Oh my God. That was one of the most, that was one of the scariest things I ever took from, uh, uh, from Vinnie Massaro and big ugly. When I first started in the business, 
they were doing the off the shoulders flip pile driver. And that was like, I mean, 2006, seven, you know? So like, this is the flip pile driver just started, you know, and they're doing like, and he, and there, I remember I was in a match with them and I was already worried. I'm already wrestling. (laughs) Big ugly. I'm like, all right, am I going to remember anything after this match or (laughs) so? Uh, uh, when they were convincing me to do this mat, uh, that move, I was like, I am so worried, but that, that was one of the first times I was, I was, uh, in a move or in a discussion about a move. And I was just like, so scared. I am so scared, but it it was, everything went okay. I was, I'm still here now. And ever since then I've been pretty much that same person. So that's kind of something I picked up from Vinny. I always throw the craziest shit out there. And if somebody goes, yeah, all right. Then I go, all right, cool. <laughs> Let's yeah. do this. And then if they, if they're like, I don't know, then I'm, then I have like 50 other things that I can throw in, you know, to, to back it up with. Yeah. Like, uh, when I was talking to Taro, he said super dragon cause super dragon's his cousin. He was like, Oh yeah, we were on a trampoline together when we were, and he's like, I made up this move. I'm going to put you on my shoulders like a torture rack, but then I'm going to flip you up into a pile driver. Oh and thus, my God. And thus, and thus the psycho driver is born at <laughs> a trampoline, on a trampoline. And then he's like, Oh, and then, then we did it in a match at rough pro. And it's like, you, yeah. just, you just did that move. And like, that became like his signature base, you know, the move that everyone remembers. Besides oh, I know. Him, yeah. Besides I remember that move. Face. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that move. I love that move. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I use it as my finisher in my backyard fed for, I don't know how long, you know what I mean? Yeah. I love, Super Dragon was my uh, jam. I love PWG, man. That was the place I wanted to get to when I was 22. That was my goal. Didn't make it clearly. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people don't. I mean, like it's, it's funny because people who are like, I remember when I first started, you know, when, when PWG first started, I was kind of like, oh, it's just another, like, it's a great indie fed, but it's just another indie fan. But it's not, it's not really because it's an indie fed that's like, you already have to be credible around like the United States indie scene yeah. just yeah. to get to like PWG. It's, it's really tough to get there. That was my, that was, I think that was always my pinnacle. I think, it, I think that was my success point, I guess, for, you know, each individual has their own thing. Um, not to say that I don't feel like I was successful in any way because I became a professional wrestler. And that's the main thing. But uh, PWG was always when I started was my goal as a, as a young kid. I was like, I want to, I, cause I went there every month. Like me and my buddies, we took trips every month up in the car and then <laughs> a geo Metro up to uh, or down to SoCal to, to go watch them. Uh, even before they had the, the, you know, everything was full. I mean, we were getting, we were walk-ups, you know, Yeah. And now it's, you know, expensive and packed and crazy. So yeah, I, I love that place, man. That's like, that's kind of probably where my style I think originated from, you know, that and WCW, Rey Mysterio, Cruiserweights. <laughs> yeah. You, it sounds like you, you were pretty much the same in the same boat as me as far as like watching WCW, because like the second I started like the Cruiserweight division, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Why doesn't, why doesn't everyone do this? <laughs> I was yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. 96, 97, man. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. What is happening? I think that's probably what pulled me in, uh, you know, because I was used to maybe WWF where I was like, I, I, the, I still don't like the old Attitude Era set, like that old, like just the pillars with the, just old and ugly. I always yeah. liked WCW. I'm still a big fan of the themed pay-per-views, like the sets and everything like that. I'm sad that that's not, it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, Halloween Havoc was the best. It was like, oh my God, yes. So great. Yeah, beach, a uh, bash at the beach. You know all these cool, cool little themes that they had. That was, uh, and we did that with our with our fed. I remember doing like a, a, a king of the backyard like <laughs> thing. We put like a, a lawn chair with black tarp on top of this big old structure that we made, 
you know? <laughs> that's awesome. That, so that's one of the things that drew us in as kids. So it's, it's weird that they don't do that stuff now. Yeah. I remember it's funny though. Cause I went back on the network and I, when I rewatched a bunch of the uh, old nitros and uh, they're definitely, they're definitely better in my memory than they yeah. like. The, yeah. The, well, yeah. The, the matches are still, the matches that I want to see are still great. You know, see, watching Eddie Guerrero versus Dean Malenko for like the always eighth time good. is always fucking good. No matter what. I can love Dean Malenko. But it's then one of my like, main inspirations right there. Dean Malenko. Yeah. But then the next match will be like Sergeant Craig Pittman versus Ice Train. And you're like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> Why would anyone think this was a good idea? Yeah. Or Glacier or, you know, just like. It's almost like, like WCW <laughs> would have been better in in, in episodes. <laughs> right. Like, let's just, here's the Cruiserweight section. And you watch that for 30 minutes. And then, you know, here's the rest. Well, that's what the one thing Bischoff did that was super smart was he always started with the Cruiserweight match. Yeah. Because he's like, how do you get people in? Boom. There's Hurricane Ranas. There's Dragon Ranas. Yeah. There's everything you could imagine. And. And that's the other good thing is on the is on the network is that it's it's parceled out by matches. You can just pick yeah. matches, which is which is nice. Yeah. Uh, but it's the same thing as all wrestling. You know, everyone remembers the Attitude Era so fondly. But if you go back now, it's like there's a lot of stuff there that's really not good, and it's it's kind of like uh, it's nostalgia, right? Yeah, it's yeah. nostalgia, and part of that is through you know you want to call it woke whatever ideology that some people are so afraid to embrace. Sure. Uh, but like you know. It's a lot of it was bad. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of it was bad. Uh, you know, X Pac did uh, did blackface on television. Yeah, that wasn't great. Yeah, it's not great. Um, so when I first saw you, uh, was at our mutual friend, also a host on this show, uh, Jesus Cruz, uh, on one of his shows, uh, doing lucha. You know, you obviously were a fan of lucha style from seeing it on WCW, but what was you know, what was it like working Lucha, working to a Lucha crowd, uh, you know, doing that kind of style of wrestling? I think the biggest difference is the Lucha crowd. Um, as far as working Lucha, I've worked Lucha up until I became a professional because <laughs> I'm right-handed and I did everything with my right until I learned that hey, you do everything the opposite. So that wasn't really that difficult for me. I think once I kind of got indoctrinated, and I was like, okay, left. Oh shit. Yeah. All right. Then, then it becomes a little bit more of an issue, but, um, you know, after a couple of years of pro training or whatever, and then switching to the right, but like arm drags and stuff like locking up is mainly the main thing I would say, because it's so natural to do the way you do it to switch it up is weird sometimes. But if you know, ahead of time, it's not a problem at all for me. Um, uh, the Lucha crowd though is, is real, is real different. I don't really, I don't think I really have figured it out yet. Honestly, it's very, it varies because I think they just like to see cool shit, to be honest. I think it's just more like cool shit and, um, less, less focus on heel face story. I think it's just kind of a spectacle and that's kind of what I've kind of tailored my stuff around when I've been around a Lucha crowd. I haven't focused too much on, I still kind of keep the same consistency because I have my move set. Um, but as far, I try to add a little bit more flash, I mm. think is what I try to do. Even if I'm a heel. Yeah. I just talked to uh, Eli Everfly uh, from Santino brothers. And he was talking about, he said, he said, and I never thought of this, but I thought it was really apropos when he said it, he said, Lucha crowds aren't synchronized. American crowds are. Uh, mm -hmm. American crowds, they'll very much be like, you know, this is awesome. Da, 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 you know, yep. if you, if you, Oh, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and, and Lucha crowds, is like, no, you got to work like for individuals. You don't get to work for like the whole crowd. Yeah. yeah that's one of the things I, I, that makes sense. Cause I, I did when I was working the Lucha crowd, I would always pick somebody out 
because I think I was mostly a face uh, during that time. So I, I would pick somebody out to look in their eyes and just do that. And then I would do that through each individual. And I think uh, with Lucha crowds, I tended to connect with the kids. I try to connect with the kids more mm-hmm. than worrying about the adults, which is what I did with the American crowds. I worried more about an older audience there. Yeah. And then, you know, Lucha crowds is you'll have someone who's in the back row run up and scream at the, at the Rudos <laughs> in the middle of a match. You're yeah. like, what's going on right now? Yeah. And you just have the random horns, the burp, burp, just yeah. everywhere. And it's, it's, you just got to keep going. I, it's not like, I don't, it's, I don't think there's much of a, it, like, it, like you said, it's, it's synced versus unsynced. It's you're working more detailed versus overall. You know, and the, for me, it's the same thing with the age groups you're working. I think you're working a younger age group generally with with a lucha crowd um, or at least the style, like a flashier kind of younger style versus something that's slow and methodical and thought out and like, you know, very technical because that's kind of very that's almost more English, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then also I wanted to get into, I recently had a uh, sour boon on the podcast. I just, yeah. recorded, I just recorded an episode with dark chic. So I would love to know your experience at hood slam, uh, you know, working from, you know, doing Lucha slash doing, it's almost like full circle now because now you're, you know, you, you started off in a backyard atmosphere and hood slam isn't backyard by any means. Everyone is mm. trained and all that, but it is very punk rock. It is very dirty and grimy and wonderful yeah. like that. Uh, so, you know, how did you, when you started getting into hood slam, you know, what did you think of it and how much fun did you start having? <laughs> okay. Um, so I love hood slam. Um, I, I, I knew about hood slam since probably its inception. I remember, I remember being in, um, a, the, the, by where the ring, where the training was for Devil Mountain. And I remember Sam coming in the back, Sheik coming in the back and uh, talking about the idea of Hood Slam and like, and just doing all these crazy characters and stuff like that. And I think this is when I was kind of either coming back or just trying to, or I had a little bit of time here and there and I was very inconsistent. Um, so I was, I was excited about the aspect of bringing video games into wrestling in it anyway. So that already sounded awesome. Um, but getting involved in hood slam was, was one of the best things that's happened to me. It's awesome. You know, it's so much fun. Um, and it's not just fun in the sense that, you know, you, you go out there and you can work as hard as you want, you know, or you can try to be as entertaining as you want and it'll be received the same. You know what I mean? You, you can put on a five-star match or you can do one hold and be five-star entertaining. And they'll be like eating it up the entire time. And I think that's, that's the, one of the great things about hood slam is the diversity of not only everybody that's in the locker room, but also the, the, the type of wrestling that you get to see and witness. Cause you can go from one match. That's just absolutely insane craziness to the next most methodical, like weird, <laughs> you know, cereal pouring, you know, uh, drugs, smoking, crack sniffing bunny, you know, it's, it's just, it's just the randomness that happens or, and then all of a sudden it turns into a horror show and you have somebody breaking out of a body bag, you know? So, and while those are the entertaining aspects of it, the things that happen in the ring are very cohesive and in context of those individual things. And that's what makes it so amazing. I think, um, as far as it being dirty and grimy, that's fucking right. 
Yeah, it's, um, but it, in a great way. I mean, like, there's oh yeah, yeah. There, there, there's stuff about like I love that like punk rock atmosphere of of things. That's why I like you know I like indie movies. I like I love I love things that are to me. If you make an like a hundred million dollar blockbuster film, and there's no soul to it, I could give yeah. a shit. But yeah. if you make if you make a five thousand dollar movie and it looks like crap, you can tell the people who made it love what they fucking made. I'm like, yeah. I love this. I love yeah. everything about this. And I appreciate that way more. And that's why I loved about like when I interviewed uh, Dark Sheik, she said, basically, you know, we weren't trying, you know, to make it look like, you know, like Raw or SmackDown. Because yeah. if we did, it would look silly. Yeah, yeah. They don't have that and budget. It's beautiful because like, it's just so, I, I don't know. I, I didn't, there's not even a word to describe of how awesome it is because the the way that it all came together so beautifully you know what i mean it's it's just the perfect recipe for that type of wrestling you know yeah and i feel like it's inspired a lot of uh a lot of copycat promotions uh yeah. there's a, you know as, as it's going to that's that's pretty much the way it works you know uh but i wanted to go into a little bit of uh wrestling around norcal wrestling around different uh parts of the country working different crowds uh what have you noticed about the differences in, you know, locker rooms, crowds, uh, working different parts of the, you know, just like, what do you, what do you see, especially, and now, especially cause you've been doing it for a while, like how has it evolved over time? Um, I guess it's hard to tell you how much it evolved because I think you're so wrapped up when you're younger that you probably don't notice half the things that are going on around you. Um, but I think, I think it's, it's a lot more inclusive now. I think a lot of people are, there's a lot less assholes in the locker room. Um, gen- there's a lot more things that are tolerated as far as just discussion and, I mean, just nerdiness. You know, nerdyism. That back then it was like man's man type shit. You know, you you wouldn't bring up video games in a locker room, something like that. For instance, it's just a, a a small example. And then now, you know, everyone's talking about it, stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's a lot more, I think it's a lot more representative of the age group that's involved in it now. Mm. <clears throat> and, um, but as far as going to different places, the locker rooms are all, I think they're all very, um, my favorite locker room has been hood slam just because of everybody there works hard, wants to do the best they can. You know what I mean? And, and when I go to other locker rooms, it, it's just depending on who the talent is. You know, generally the younger people are trying to do, you know, the best they can. Sometimes they fail, sometimes they don't. Uh, and then you have the veterans who are there that are, you know, either chugging along or or specifically have a certain thing in mind for their promotion, whatever. Um, so like when I go up north, for instance, uh, like Oregon or Washington, it's it varies in in that the the, the way the states handled professional wrestling. So for instance, in Washington, I believe that um, at the time there was no wrestling schools. I think they are now, but um, there wasn't any professional wrestling schools. They had like the athletic commission involved in it. You had to get a license, all that stuff. And that was really uh, causing a lot of problems for the scene up there, obviously. So you had a lot of underground happening. So you have some like backyard semi-pro places happening. Um, and then in Oregon, I don't think you, you did not have that problem, but you kind of had more of an old school feel. I noticed, um, I think just because of, you know, Piper came from there. So, 
So there's a lot of more of an old school feel I've, I noticed from Oregon. Um, but as far as the locker room, everyone seemed respectful. Everybody always mm-hmm. shook hands. That's one the one thing I noticed about the wrestling world is that regardless of they're faking it or not, uh, everybody always says hello and always says goodbye and is generally one of the most professional things that's bestowed on you when you start in the business. You know, you don't really learn that anywhere else as far as I know. Yeah. I know, uh, some of the guys I interviewed from, uh, Luke Hawks' school in Louisiana, like in Louisiana, you, every show you go to, you got to bring your blood test. Like, cause it's oh. so regulated on like, they want to make sure like, Oh, prove you're not, you know, going to cut yourself open and give someone else something that they shouldn't that have. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, they also have to have it. So you have to like in, when WrestleMania weekend was there, basically you couldn't run a show unless you had a license to run wrestling in Louisiana. And to do that, you have to be from Louisiana. So like, like local promoters basically loaned out their, uh, their, uh, uh, you know, permits. They were like, Oh yeah, I'm I'm co-producing this show with them in order for, you know, cause, cause everyone, you know, comes to WrestleMania weekend and run shows. So yeah. in order to do that, you had to co-promote with people who actually live there. Ah, meaning, meaning okay. you get a little scratch and you're good. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Okay. But, so, so they had to give a little rub to the local feds then. Yeah. Which I, okay. which is good though. That, that yeah. to me is kind of good rather than, you know, everyone just kind of jumping in and exploiting the. Yeah. I wouldn't be opposed to that. I don't, I don't hate that idea at all. Yeah. But I mean, teach their own. Yeah. I've always been the type of person's like, look, I'm, I'm here. I, my, there's stuff out there and I'm not going to go begging or looking for work. You know, that's kind of, it's past the time, you know, it's same with, with, with the, uh, when, when they come in for WrestleMania weekend, there's people, man, they fly out there and they're just like waiting at the door. Like, can I get a match? Can I get a match? And it's like, is that match going to do it for you? You know, is that, is that yeah. really going to set you on the path to success for the rest of your life? Yeah. All right, brother. The booker has ran out. He's yelling to take it home. So we're going to do that. I got some questions for you. Uh, right. You know, you don't, you can answer these as, as, as slowly as you like, though. There's no hard, there's no hard rules here. Uh, I've been hitting the head a few times, so, or dropped on my head a few times. There you go. Well, actually, Maybe we'll start both. with that. Uh, what's the, what's the injury list? Oh, okay. Uh, injury list. Cauliflower ear. I've got, uh, I mean, several scars on my head here from my glasses. Um, Ankle injuries. I've never had any broken bones. Um, concussions. I've had a few, um, but not significant enough to not. I don't think past five or so. I've probably had maybe three serious ones. One serious one. What happened there? Uh, that was when I was training when I was younger. So um, I I. I just remember running the ropes and taking a hip toss or something like that. And the re- the next thing I know is that um, Rick Luxury slams a composite book down. He says, if you're going to fucking ask me one more time, I'm going to write it down for you. This is what happened. <laughs> so I had been bugging him a few times. <laughs> um, so that, that, that was probably my worst concussion. Um, as far as the worst injury, I would say that suicide dive where everybody – the idea was to go into the chairs, but people dived before I did. So all the chairs got scattered and moved. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway. And so I went for it. Everybody moved, suicide cone helo, and just straight boom onto the basketball floor, slid. That screwed up. I mean, that's the first time I've ever felt. Have you ever had sciatica? No, luckily. Okay. So, Knock on wood. 
uh, I was in a match with Brian Cage there. And I remember there was so much shit that I still had planned with him. Like, you know, I don't know, all crazy stuff. Um, and I remember going for a drop kick and I did not have any power in my right foot, in my right leg at all. It just was pain, ah! <laughs> you know? And then, so having to finish the match through that, that was, that's kind of the weird, weird wrestling proud thing about injuries is you, you screw yourself up and you still keep going, even though you probably shouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. so I've, I've, uh, hyperextended my knee. There is, uh, <clears throat> somebody belly to belly me into the, into the corner turnbuckle. And my right foot, my bottom of my right foot caught on the turnbuckle. And then, yeah, my knee went in. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, oh, I was in a, uh, you know what an emerald fusion is? Oh, yeah. So legs up here, head here. Um, he didn't quite, he didn't quite let go of the legs. So uh, I got just crunched together like this. Just compacted down, yeah. Yeah, right there. That, I still feel every once in a while if I turn wrong or something, like in my chest. Um, what else? I think that's probably the most ones that I remember, yeah. Oh, no, I got a, I got a missing piece of my elbow right here. There's a flat piece that's a chip piece of my elbow just floating around. That's from uh, falling off a ladder into a pile of chairs. I should have remembered not to slap the mat, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah. second nature yeah that uh, uh that uh suicide dive reminds me of uh if you get a chance look up the uh look up eli everfly b-boy b-boy uh oh yeah b-boy, mm-hmm. b-boy gorilla press slams him from the ring to the outside yeah and he goes straight like hip first i want to say onto basketball yeah. floor yeah that's that's i remember seeing that and it reminded me of that and i just go dude i would stop yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that hurts so bad that was one of the worst things man it still bugs you as far as concussions go though i'm really glad that like we know more now because i feel like a lot of a lot of the stories that people tell on this podcast they probably wouldn't happen now because they're like back then they're kind of like oh you don't know where you're at right now that's cool um i'm gonna go ahead and pile drive you anyway (laughs) you're like dude i do that shit to myself i was in oregon um, two minutes into the match, I got a concussion. So I run the ropes, the guy trips my leg and I just, I took it. I just, I went 110% into the mat. Yeah. <laughs> so I ran the ropes. He took my legs. I went boom, two minutes into the match. I finished the rest of the match with a concussion. And I did, uh, I mean, I did all the stuff I asked, I said I was going to do. And I didn't know. I remember in the match, in the middle of the match, I go, I go, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I got a question. What's next? He goes reverse web dive out. And I go, okay. So he goes out, he's out there. And I go, all right, I guess I'm doing the thing. So I run backflip over to the top rope to the outside with a concussion. I'm like, dude, after the match, I was like, I asked him, I was like, did I do the dive out? He goes, yeah. I was like, dude, shouldn't have done the dive out. <laughs> shouldn't have done any of that. <laughs> Damn. But you know, it's, it's like you go into autopilot when you're a pro wrestler. Sometimes it's like, you've, you've been drilled so hard that even with a concussion, I was still able to finish uh, I don't know. It was like a 15 minute match still that, I mean, I was two minutes in, it was like the first thing that happened. I got tripped, you know? And uh, yeah, it was like, you know, stand off trip, go outside, switch off. You know, that's how it goes. This is a four way match or whatever. And, uh, uh, yeah, I had to finish the rest of the match with a concussion. I remember being at, at, in the back at the end, I go, so we're done. And I did all the things. He's like, yeah, the match is over. You did all the stuff. Did it look good? Yeah. 
<laughs> he's like, yeah, I think it looked good. And I'm like, did I do the dive? And then went backwards and I didn't hurt anybody. And I, I, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. Then we're good. Yeah. We, uh, Jesus, uh, interviewed wild storm on here. Do you remember wild storm? From oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he wrestled, I think a full match and a battle Royal. And, uh, at the end of the show, he was just standing there by the door. And somebody's like, what are you doing? We need to go. And he's like, I'm waiting for my music. Shit. And he, he didn't remember anything. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. I was that, that one's bad. Like he literally, it's funny now that we're talking about it. I'm like, I probably had more than three. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one. I remember another one when I was younger in the middle of a match. Uh, do you, do you know who Tito Aquino is? Oh yeah. I traded okay. him at pro wrestling iron. Okay. So you were, <laughs> I was in, I was in the corner and he's going ham on me right in the corner. And uh, next thing I know, boop, I'm out, right. Just black. And I go down, right? I slope into the corner. I wake up. I get back up. He's still pop, 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 just beating the shit out of me. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yep. Oh. That one, that one, I'm going to log that one. I'm going to put that one on the, uh, that's <laughs> more than three. Uh, any favorite road stories that you have? Uh, favorite road stories. Okay. Um, none of these are my favorite. They all sucked. So I've, all of my road stories end with my cars dying. So, (laughs) um, so I'll give you, I'll give you two good ones. So one, um, I was headed up to Washington I get about 75 miles away from my town to towards Washington. And, uh, my right front tire, the axle just comes, it's just off. Like it's just off coming off, you know? So I pull over to the side. I call my brother who, who knows about cars and stuff to fix them. He comes up um, and he says, okay, maybe I'll be able to fix it and you'll be on your way or we have to tow it, you know? And I'm like, shit, I need to get up there. I think this might've been even the match where I was wrestling super crazy. So I'm like, even more, I'm like, fuck, I gotta get up there, you know? So um, he gets out there and just figures out that nothing nothing can be fixed. He has to take a, a hairpin that my buddy had on him to slide into, and there's like a, there's a pin where it holds the, holds the whole wheel to, to, together. And uh, because in order to, to get the car on the tow truck, you have to have that. <laughs> I guess you have to have that there. I don't know shit about cars, clearly. Um, he did. So he put that there. They were able to get it on the tow truck, had to drive it all the way back to the hometown my dad was cool enough to be like, um, Hey, you can borrow my car. I'm like, all right. So I take that car. And then now I head all the way back up to, uh, Seattle. That was one that wasn't too bad. The, uh, the, the, the one that was really bad was, um, I was, I drove up there, um, had the match where match was over. It was like midnight or two o'clock in the morning. We're ready to go get some pizza with everybody. I, I know sold a shit ton of merch I um, got. So you're feeling real good at this point. Yeah, just oh fuck yeah, it's awesome, right? (laughs) Super ready to like, and and we're we're fucking me and my buddy, we're road warriors. So so we're just like we're we're gonna get pizza and we're gonna drive home. So like we had drove up, wrestled, drive home, you know, from Seattle. So it's a full on, you know, twenty four hour whatever trip, but um, because you don't get a lot of sleep, you know. So uh, on the way to the pizza. Our buddies in front of us, they take a turn. My car just kind of dies. And I'm like, this is a new car, by the way. This is a whole different, 
let's pull their car now. They they pull over because they realize it's still green and we're not coming. And then um, and if you know anything about, have you ever been to Seattle? If you know Seattle, uh, you know the streets are kind of San Francisco, so it's up, down, up, down, up, down everywhere, right in the main city. And uh, so we turn my car. My car kind of starts back up again. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything. I'm like, we're just gonna go. We're gonna go home. <laughs> Fuck it. We're not we're not gonna get pizza. And uh, right in the intersection, just nope, stopped right there. Um, the street this way is a hill up the street. This way is a hill down. Like there's no, and I have to push the car somewhere. I got to get it out of the way. And, um, also I have like a big old box of merch with me. I've got some gimmick with me. I've got, you know, I've got another person with me. I've got all my gear, everything. Um, so, so the car stops, we pull it over to the side and so we established that we're fucked so that the car is completely done it's com- blue uh, it's blue blown the gasket or whatever i don't think it was a uh, i don't know if it was engine or what transmission i think it was a transmission issue at the time the transmission completely shot so i'm stuck in seattle uh with like all my stuff and i i've got to figure out now how to get home so guess what i had to do i had to use all the money i made to buy a plane ticket <laughs> to mm. get home. Yeah. And I'm sure you had to pay extra for bag fees on that. Well, yeah, I mean, there's uh, well, uh, so I used the extra money that I had left over to ship my merch back to me because my, there was a, uh, God bless him. Uh, Rook Kelly. Do you know him? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's from Seattle. Um, and he, he, uh, he took, he kept the license plates cause we had to keep the light. There was this whole fucking process of, Oh, cause we had to sell the car. I mean, I can't just leave the car there either. Yeah. So I had to find a place at two o'clock in the morning that was willing to tow the car and keep the car. That wasn't mine. It was my girlfriend's. So I didn't even have the title. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that doesn't seem like that should be possible. <laughs> they took it. We had to pay them. Of course. Which is shit. Cause it's, it's, I mean, you fix the transmission on that car. It's good. You know what I mean? So I think it was $500 just for them to take the car. So that's, that's my start into the, into the night, then plane ticket, then mailing the merch home. So that was a shitty, that was a shitty Damn. trip. I don't, and it, as far as fun road stories, I don't really have that many because I don't, it's generally pretty straight shot for me and come back. Yeah. But uh, one of the most memorable ones is going up with uh, the suburban commandos, the twins and everybody and I was 16. I was not, uh, you know, I was trying to hold my breath, not trying to get high. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but uh, those guys are always a blast. I mean, it's it's always a fun, it's always a fun time to r- ride with people anywhere, you know, when you're on a road trip. So. Uh, I always consider, you know, wrestling's a physical thing, but I also consider wrestling a very creative thing. You know, you're putting together yeah. matches, you're cr- coming up with moves, coming up with gimmick, doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do. Uh, if not wrestling, what would be your thing to do creatively? Okay, so um, this is what I did when I took a break or had to because of work. So um, I think, yeah, because uh, wrestling tends to lend itself to creative people, I think. Um, and if you don't have it, that's why people feel very empty when, you know, when it's not there. So, uh, I did a lot of video editing. I did that before anyway. And I did, uh, video editing and, uh, we did like small sketch comedy videos and stuff like that. So I had a whole YouTube channel 
that was dedicated. I mean, it has over 200 sketch comedy videos during the time that I was taking a break from wrestling. So that's what I would have done. You know, if I hadn't, mm-hmm. I had been not been working, I would have had 200 wrestling matches <laughs> or whatever. Um, but yeah, sketch comedy videos, action videos, video game related. So like, um, you know, at the time it was call of duty, black ops and modern warfare. So we were doing live action with like airsoft rifles and I was getting into special effects. So I was learning after effects and uh, 3d programs like, uh, uh, blender and stuff like that to to make like 3d bullets and cool stuff like that that's kind of what i was getting into all right uh what's your favorite move or hold that you don't use oh shit that i don't use i started to just re- reintroduce everything that i do now oh man i don't think i have one because i do everything that i like no worries yeah uh what's the craziest fan interaction you've had Craziest fan interaction. I don't know. I'm kind of an asshole, so I don't really my <laughs> conversations don't go that long. Um, I, yeah, I don't. I, usually, it's at the merch table, and it's not. There's nothing, anything. That's. I mean, I've had one guy come up to me and go, "Hey, I pay in two dollar bills because the hookers think it's you know a twenty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's that's it's it's not very crazy or yeah. yeah. It's weird. Like, that's why that's why I carry two dollar bills around. <laughs> it's weird. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm sure it works. I mean, you just got that two there. <laughs> I don't know what more you get out of it. Yeah. Uh, besides <laughs> hurting you, or in Tito Aquino's case, knocking you out. Uh, what's the worst <laughs> thing someone could do when you're working with them in a match? Oh, I don't know. Um, be unprofessional. I mean, I don't know. It's there's no there's no one thing that like pisses me off. I mean, if somebody slaps me in the fucking ear, then you're getting a receipt regardless. I don't care. That one is just that. I think that's just going to be the gold standard for professional wrestling. I think if you get slapped in the ear, you get a receipt. Um, I think nowadays, if you start coming at me too hard, that's probably one of the things that kind of it's one of my pet peeves throws me mm-hmm. off a little bit. But I just unprofessionalism. Um, right out of the gate. So whether it is, you know, thinking you are, you know, too much or, you know, you're stubborn in your ways or you're uncollaborative or, you know, that kind of thing. That's that, that really bugs me more than anything else. And how do you, uh, how do you react? How do you deal with someone who's like, just not, uh, not wanting to be collaborative in a way? Like, you know, is it just like, it's like, oh, how about we do this in the match? And they're like, nah. Well, how about this? Nah. Like, how do you, how do you respond? How do you deal with that? Luckily, I haven't I haven't had too many of those cases. Um, but I've also tried to adapt around everybody's work style. So I have. I mean, this may even sound. I'll shit. I'll tell you. This is this is silly. So I have an entire uh, notes list that has probably the list of all my moves on it with a checkbox. And there's uh, heel spots, face spots, uh, top rope moves, backbreakers, whatever, right? And then there's even a section for large, large opponents and smaller opponents. So if I have a smaller opponent, I generally will do all my lifting backbreakers. If I have a larger opponent, I will do the jumping on stuff to them. So when it comes to people who say no or are opposed to doing certain things, I'm, I'd like to say I'm pretty good at convincing people. I mean, a good example 
I mean, he didn't say no or anything, but he just, he wasn't uncollaborative in any way, but I had to help him figure out what it was. You know what I mean? I had to, so I'm, I just approach it in any way that I would normally and, and say, Hey, okay, well it's, it's going to be easy and it'll look cool and you don't have to do much. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what I try to work uh, into my moveset as well as I try to make it so it's not difficult for the opponent to participate. Mm. So um, I should be able to do it whether they <laughs> agree or not. Yeah. So um, if they, if there's ever been a time where they don't agree or they're, they want to have a shitty match and I'm unwilling to have a shitty match, then I do the stuff that makes me look good and I don't care what happens to them. Mm. Not necessarily physically, but in the sense that I can still do stuff that makes me look good without having their participation. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, you're, you're not, you know, because half of wrestling is making the other person look great as mm-hmm. well. And, you know, exactly. If they're not, if they're not willing to put in an effort, then it's like, well, that part's a little foregone now, isn't it? <laughs> also, um, a pro tip: don't tell them ahead of time. There you go. If it's something simple, you know, like, I, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've landed in the middle of the ring. I mean, if the guy would have said no ahead of time, I would have just said nothing. And then in the middle of the match, I would have said springboard for him. And then I would have rolled out to the apron and I would have jumped off the springboard and I would have found him. I can go wherever I need to go. Yeah. And he's going to get it. <laughs> he's going to, yeah. a person is going to land on him. <laughs> yeah. You know what, how he reacts to that not my problem it's uh it's the old uh you know better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission you know yeah and i've never had anybody afterwards go what the fuck you did this and this and this you know what i mean yeah because as long as you don't actually you know hurt them i'm not nailing them them. yeah Yeah. i'm not destroying their face with it i'm being safe about it and and that's one of the main things i pride myself on is is that i'm very logical and i think a lot of my stuff out even to the to the steps not not to where i go okay i need to step here i need to step here but when I'm actually thinking about the moves or the moves that I'm going to do or the moves that somebody else is going to do, I don't think about just how, okay, if I do a suplex, I got to make sure I protect their neck. No, I also think about how your ankle placement is or how their ankle placement is or how far your spacing is from the turnbuckle so you don't catch your ankles, shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I pride myself on that and, and I really focus on making sure I get things right before I actually implement them in the match. So a, good, a good example would be like a spiral tap. I, I miss it hundreds of times before I actually decide to actually hit it on somebody. When's a a time that you were legitimately surprised by someone else in the ring? Oh, all the time. Yeah. It's it's. And, and honestly, that's when I think that's when the wrestling is the most exciting. And then after the match, you're, you're the most pumped up about it because you're like, Oh shit, this guy got it. He's like, it's almost like when you get in a match and, and you talked about it or whatever, and the match flows and you guys didn't say a damn word to each other the whole time. You know, you just had this match and everybody's going nuts and you come at the end, you're like, did we just fucking have this match without saying a damn word? You know? And sometimes you can even have those, those matches with, with people that like, uh, I remember wrestling Douglas James and I remember wrestling him and I was like, Oh my God, this was so much fun. Like you just get surprised by, and I don't want to say surprised because people, people are good at their craft. And I don't want to say like, he surprised me because before I thought he wasn't this good. You know, I don't yeah, want to yeah. say that. I, I want to, I want to be surprised in the sense that the, the experience surprised me in the way that, Oh my God, we were able to do this so cohesively with so little effort. 
you know, so little effort in the sense of mental effort, you know? Yeah. It's a creative sink. It's like, it's not just surprised at them being good. It's surprised that, that your, your style and personalities meshed as well as it did in that moment. It's like when you, it's like when, you know, you're jamming out with someone and they're playing, you know, you got two guys on guitar jamming with each other and then each person doubles up the other one, like flawlessly. And you're like, okay, so you went the exact same place I was going to go. I had no idea that's where you're going to go. Holy shit. That's amazing. Yeah, that that is one of the best. I think that's probably the 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 best feeling of professional wrestling for me and I get the most high from when after a really good match where like everything went so smooth and you you didn't even have to think about it so hard. You know, and it just and everybody ate it up. That's that's so perfect. But I mean, I mean people surprise me all the time with like moves they do and and just I, I'm, I get more surprised by the verbal aspect of professional wrestling because I suck at it. I'm, I'm, I'm decent, but I'm not as good. So when people cut good promos and, and make, you know, they speak well, or they had, they, they do certain things like that. Trezario comes to mind, you know, it just, that's surprising. Cause I'm like, shit, you know, like he, he worked on that, you know, he, he got there from somewhere else and it's just great to see people improve like that. That's what's awesome. Has a booker tried to stiff you on money? And if they have, uh, what are some of the funnier excuses given? So I've never been actually stiffed on money. I've just been lowballed, And then the excuses for that. So uh, I've never been stiffed. One, because when I first was training, I was with people who would not allow that. Try to stiff Apple Bomber and you let me know how that yeah. goes, you know, <laughs> or, or even the Suburban Commandos, you know, or, you know, the Stoner Brothers. Try, try to do that and let me know how that works out for you. Um, <clears throat> as far as I've had promoters, uh, promoters always give you the whole, I, I can only pay you $20 because I only make this much on the gate or, or I've only made this much or these people came in. That's, it's kind of the same old, same old that you get from every other promoter. But I've always been paid what I've asked, but I've always been reasonable and I've worked with people, you know, so I've never been outrageous with my fee because I know who I am and I know what level I'm at and I know what people can afford and what level they're at. (laughs) Yeah. Have you got the, uh, I'll PayPal you later? Yes. Yes. Um, I have, and I did get it though. Okay. (laughs) I did get it though. Um, but I would only let that happen to people who I, you know, who I would trust, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I would take a PayPal from just some fucking schmo. You know, if I was driving to a different state, I would not be taking a PayPal. You know, I, a matter of fact, I would probably ask for half up front and then, and then half later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, I talked about that with Scott Lost cause he's a, he's a comic book artist and he was yeah. talking about, and he was like, oh yeah. Like, you know, he's like, I don't understand when I do commissions, you know, I ask for half up front. He's like, that's how wrestling should be because honestly, yeah. he's like the amount of times that people tried to stiff me on, on money was, was insane. And yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sure he has a huge experience with that. Yeah. Yeah. I got to wrestle him once in a tables match. That was awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's him, Joey Ryan. It was a NorCal versus SoCal match uh, in at GZW in Modesto. I don't know if you remember them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, zero. Who was your partner in that? Shit. I don't remember. Maybe Dana Lee. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was like three on three. I think I remember because that was the first time I learned that <laughs> the SoCal NorCal shit was all a beef and stiffing was a beef. And all. 
<laughs> I, I went, I laid into Joey Ryan and he was like, lighten up kid. It's all work. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> we don't all hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, Oh, okay. And then from then on, I I've always adopted the, like you start, you start railing in on me. I'm a knock you fuck out. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's a thing where like, you know, there's a difference between working stiff and the other person does, is not down or two people who know, Hey, are we going yeah. in tonight? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, cool. Like, oh, and, yeah. and there are definitely guys that do that. You know, like if you watch any of the super dragon taro matches, they're basically kicking the shit out of each other the entire match. Yeah. You're like, good Lord. And yeah. Like, that's just the way, you know, it, it just depends on the, the workers and how they're feeling. But how did you, so how did you find like working with uh, SoCal guys? You know, I mean, like you found, so you found out, you know, Oh shit, it is a work. Like it's not yeah. a big beef, you know? That was back then. So that was when I was younger. So that changed my whole perception on everything. But even then I was wanting to work with SoCal guys. I just thought that they hated us because <laughs> we're NorCal and we yeah. hate them because they're SoCal or whatever. And they don't want us to work there and we don't want them to work here. Blah, 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 blah. It's all bullshit. Yeah. Um, so uh, when I later on, when I actually probably more recently when I came back and I started working with uh, more SoCal guys, um, it's just different. I think they work at a higher pace. Like they're more, they're more rapid fire. I think they have more of a Lucha influence than maybe we do up here. Um, I loved it. I mean, I think that's definitely more geared towards my style. That's probably why I liked wrestling Douglas so much. And that's why I liked wrestling Matt cross so much. And you know, those guys, that's, I think that's, it lends itself to my style. Um, I have a harder time with the slower stuff. I feel like uh, it's kind of a bummer that it's gone now, uh, but I feel like you would have done well with like bar wrestling down there. Oh, I know. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, bar wrestling would have been fun. Yeah. What's the hardest you've laughed in an indie show? Uh, it's probably been at a hood slam. And I, I could not tell you what it was because there's so many moments. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I couldn't. All right. Couldn't um, what's the worst gimmick you've seen on the indie scene? <laughs> Without throwing anybody under the bus, I don't know. Just, just go to any fucking local indie show. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with like, this then. Uh, uh, what's the right now is the most overused ring gear gimmick? Uh, like for instance, when uh, right before you had started out, uh, you mean the you Punisher prob- logo? Well, what was it? The Punisher logo. That's what I had on my. Oh, okay. My, no, I was gonna say uh, there was a time in the early two thousands when everyone was raving. Uh, everyone had oh, jean okay. shorts and a cutoff t shirt no matter what in the indie scene. And some of them were great workers, but they still had that look. And you're like, why? Like reckless youth had that look. And you're like, you're better than this. You don't need this. <laughs> but so what would you say right now is like the most overused stuff that people are wearing? Um, I would say, I don't know if there's any specific overused stuff. I think it's a very generic look that everyone's kind of going for right now. It's like the indie wrestler look that we all tried to avoid when we were coming up. Um, I don't think, I think the, the non-caricature wrestler the the adam cole the the you know just the i have a catchphrase wrestler right they don't there's nothing really specifically about them they're just they're a pro wrestler and they have some gear but there's no character direction necessarily you know um that's i think that's what i see the most i don't know if there's any like specifically overused gimmick that i can that i can tell especially since wrestling has been shut down for so long. That's true. Like I can't even, 
When you're working on indie shows, uh, you find yourself on cards either wrestling with or just on the same card as you. You got names that are bigger names, quote unquote. You know, guys that wrestled in WWF, WWE, WCW, ECW, blah, blah, blah. Or just high level indies. Were there any guys that worked on a show with you that acted like they were bigger than the show, really just rubbed you the wrong way? You're like, okay, guy, like, you know, it, this isn't necessary. Um, I don't think that there's not any time that I've worked on a show that I remember <clears throat> anybody being like, surprisingly, everybody's been pretty cool. I have noticed some people being a little like grumpy, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't attribute like a whole bitch fit to them. You know what I mean? Okay. You know? And I, and I would say it's a lot, it's more, more the old timers, old timers, like the way nineties guys, those guys that are looking or putting on maybe trainings for, for guys that are younger. And they're like, do you guys even fucking know anything? Have you ever fucking learned anything? You know, that, that kind of thing. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. I've heard that. Mm. Yeah. Like this is the kind of fucking talent that exists, you know, that, but it's, it is what it is. You know, some people are grumpy, maybe you had a bad day. I don't care. You know, but generally I'm not going to lie to you. When I go, when I go to these situations and there's a, an asshole in the locker room, I remove myself. I just go somewhere else, man. I don't fucking, I'm not in the wrestling business to deal with the bullshit drama that exists in it. You know, that, mm. that is one of the worst things about wrestling. It's hard enough to deal with your own ego and all the jealousy that you have to deal with yourself, but to deal with all the other bullshit that comes with, from other people that have some other stubborn or high ideals about themselves is, is ridiculous. You know, everybody's on the same page. Yeah, uh, when I talked to Dark Sheik, she said uh, she was actually relieved when Vader dropped out of uh, the Hood Slam show. I never, yeah, see, I wasn't there for that. I heard that one was a little weird. I heard maybe Rob Van Dam was a little weird. Yeah. I, I don't, you know. But yeah, she I, was like, she was like, you know what? Ugh, I'm just fucking glad he's not coming. I, I don't yeah. like this guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was just like, oh, okay, that's great. Uh, you know, because sometimes, you know, you know, you dealt with it. You know, you, when people rub you the wrong way, yeah, the best thing you could do is just remove yourself because... Yeah. Why even, you know, I'm that type of person to begin with anyway. I'm just, I'm a very low drama guy. So I, I generally tend to either just write you off completely. If you're a dick to me and just go, all right, fuck you. You're done in my life. Or I just go somewhere else. And most of those situations are not, I'm not ever, I haven't been in an indie locker room consistently with a big star like that, where it's a constant relationship where I see something. But if I saw something consistently be different, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't, if I know if I don't know them and it's just the this one time they're being an asshole and I'm like all right I'm gonna go over here you know what yeah. are you talking shit about but that I it's very rare I've never really come across any kind of situation like that but I do love when the suspicions are confirmed uh, there was a guy who wrestled at uh at uh one of the promotions I worked for earlier and I always thought this guy's a dick I hate this guy oh yeah and uh, then he got a call up got to the big old Ooh. WWE. Uh, oh, I think I might know who you're talking about. And then he got fired. Fuck that guy. <laughs> he got fired because he was an asshole and he was difficult to work with. And I went, oh, good. That's what I thought. Was he a <laughs> pro wrestling I... iron guy too? It wasn't bitch tits, was it? Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hate that fucking guy. Uh, he was an asshole to me when I was young coming up, dude. dude he's an asshole to everyone. He's a dickhead. Yeah. I was just like, yeah. ugh, like, fuck you, dude. And I, yeah, to and hear... He... He would try to be cool in the back too. Yeah. And then to hear he got fired because he was an asshole even makes it better for me. I'm like, that's good. Yeah. It's like, I mean, look, this is, you fucking did it to yourself, you know, and it is what it is. There was another guy. Do you remember Mark Vega? 
Mark Vega. No, that, that sounds familiar, but I don't remember him. He was an asshole too. Yeah, see, that's the way it goes. All right. Uh, I think you already answered this. Uh, I, normally I call this the touchy feely question. What's your pure joy in wrestling? The thing that gives you goosebumps. You're like, this is why I fucking love the business. I think you already answered it though. With the, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I can expand on that a little bit too, though. I mean, besides the feeling of having that, that good match chasing that, that unicorn, I guess, right. Yeah. The, the, the good match with this in sync feeling. And um, in addition to that, I think the reason I got into wrestling was because I wanted to, I, w- I was creative, but I wanted to do stunt work. I wanted to be a stunt man when I was growing up, you know, because um, I thought that was a more realistic path than professional wrestling. I don't know, whatever. Uh, so stunt man and acting, uh, all that stuff kind of rolled into one. I love the physical and spectacle aspect of doing flashy shit. So that's where I get the joy out of it. I like looking cool. I like doing cool things. It's just the same reason I watched John Wick or on Bach. You know, I like seeing them do cool stuff. And that's kind of what I try to bestow or try to have as my character and to show other people. And hopefully they attach to that as well. They're like, Oh, I like the cool shit he does, but also there's some reason behind it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, any pranks or embarrassing stories that you can remember, uh, stuff that happened during a match and, and you just, you couldn't shit. You were like, damn it. I can't believe that happened. I couldn't, and you just couldn't shake it for a while. <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever had anything during the match or that I remember because there's so many matches and I'm, and maybe I'll toot my own horn. I say that I, I try to keep people too busy, but they, <laughs> they tend to not have the time to do that shit with me. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know. I think uh, there's no pranks or anything that happened during the match. Cause I'm, I generally try to, unless it's something like it's a throwaway match or something like that, or we're doing a fun match and that's on purpose. Mm. I don't think I've ever had a match where something like that's happened in it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. I, I'm pretty, I guess I'm pretty strict on that. <laughs> I guess I keep it pretty straightforward as, unless it's like, a, it's, it's a joke match. I mean, I had a, I had a match with uh, Johnny Butabi once where we set up a gigantic chair death trap outside the ring. And the entire match was just like when my glasses fell off, that would cue him to pick them up. And that means he goes and grabs a chair and adds it to the pile. Then I'd hit him. The glasses would come off. I'd get him, put them on, go grab a chair, put it in the pile. And then we tease the pile. And then we'd go back, get more chairs, put it in the pile, tease the pile, go back, get more chairs. The point is just this gigantic mass of chairs. We never used it. (laughs) The whole point was just to base the match around the structure that we were going to build. That's that is fantastic. (laughs) I had a a Darwin Finch on here and he told a story of uh, in wrestling, pro wrestling down south. Another thing I think you'd enjoy doing. Dark Sheik does it. Uh, Okay. And uh, they had an entire, like, they were going to do blood sport, like, where oh, they, yeah? the two guys were going to do the, you know, the resin with the ropes and the glass. Oh, yeah. And they did it. They, the, the, whole, the whole beginning and, like, ceremony took, like, 20 minutes. And one guy punched him once, and he went, I quit! And that was the end of the match. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, so, did I ever tell you that? I, I, um, um, I saw a real one, a, a Taipei death match, is that's what it's called, Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, Joe Applebaum or fucking Pogo the Clown did one. He did one with, uh, who was it? Carnage? Sounds like it'd be Carnage from down, right? 
Is it no Supreme? Probably oh, maybe Supreme. Supreme. Probably Supreme. R.I.P. Supreme. Yeah, I think it was Supreme and him. Either that or Cyanide. I mean, probably interchangeable in those. <laughs> Uh, I think it was Supreme, but yeah, they did the, they did the ropes or they had something on, they dipped it or whatever. And they put it in the glass. And I was like, dude, what? <laughs> I was like 16 years old oh my God. Was getting trained to be a professional wrestler. I'm like, motherfuckers are putting glass on their fists. You're like, I'm, we don't have to do that part. Right. Like, I'm not doing, I'm not doing pointy things. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do tables. I'll do planks. I'll do ladders. As soon as you start introducing shit that fucking points is pointy, I'm out. Yeah, recently uh, there was a on on AEW. Darby Allen did a gimmick where he had on the bottom of a skateboard a bunch of thumbtacks glued on, oh, right? God. And so he, on Ricky Starks, his what they were supposed to do was he was going to go off the top rope and he was going to land it on his back. Mm-hmm. And what he thought was what Ricky Starks thought was he said this in an interview after on a podcast. He said, "I thought it was just going to land on me." and come right off and that was it well no Ooh. it dragged and did, did, he, <laughs> did he did he like jump on him with his feet and everything like oh, he yeah. held it oh, oh yeah. my god yeah and, uh, it, and of course it fucking dragged because that's no. what's gonna happen <laughs> yeah oh my god i mean i've been i've been yeah i've been like i've been hit with a like a belt like a leather belt i mean that sucks i've been thrown into i mean i've been cut by stuff that's like metal you know that's just been sticking out places oh my god i no no thank you so that's why i like uh we talked to mike modest and he said up said oh i just told them if you want me to bleed it'll cost an extra few hundred dollars he's like nobody yeah. ever asked me to do it yeah and yeah. i was like that's pretty yeah. smart she's like oh yeah, yeah. i'll do i'll do it for 10 grand yeah she's like oh yeah i'll, I'll do it you just gotta give me more money and nothing a promoter or a booker wants to hear Hates less than more. yeah more money you know what i don't think this spot's necessary I can give anymore. you an extra bag of chips yeah exactly like, <laughs> it's good it's good exposure we got water in the back there's like <laughs> alcohol we got a soda machine in the back it takes yeah. takes multi-denominations of course i said they i said they got water in the back even that's kind of up in yeah the there's a water fountain <laughs> if you're at if you're at a high school yeah exactly all right brother thank you so much for being on here i appreciate it i really enjoyed it i uh, hope you did too please though put yourself over put over where people can buy merch where people can check out your stuff if they're not familiar with you what matches specifically they should look up that kind of thing oh okay um well in order to plug myself i have to look up my own social media crap so uh for twitter it's the underscore kenny k for uh, Instagram, it's Kenny K five, and I think Facebook. You should just be able to search the Kenny K, and it should pop up anywhere. Um, as far as merch goes, um, I would say buy it from me at a merch table, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. So I would direct you to BrainbusterTees.com. They have a lot of the new stuff that um, that I've been putting up. I've been putting up a lot of old stuff. They don't have this shirt up. And I think they're just kind of keeping that exclusive for when I'm able to sell it again. Um, That's good. It gives, it gives people an incentive to see you in person. Yeah. So this is my sons of anarchy, but I have a breaking bad style shirt there. I have a um, Baywatch style shirt shirt there just cause you know, Hoff, David Hasselhoff. Um, and I have uh, um, a star Wars style shirt there as well. So that's that's the place to to buy my t-shirts uh, and merch. They have masks, hats, everything. So that's it's a really cool place and pretty affordable as far as pricing goes. And I don't get ripped off. So 
Um, if you go there, I do appreciate it. I do. I'm pretty specific on where I sell my stuff. So um, as far as matches go, uh, my YouTube channel is the best way probably to find my matches. Um, unless there's, I don't think there's any other places. Maybe Hood Slam would be, the Hood Slam Twitch would be the other place to find some of my best matches. Um, my match with Mike Hayashi is on there. That's really good. There's a match with um, Chupacabra on at Hood Slam. That's really good. Um, I had a match with um, Douglas James at a National Pro Wrestling League. That's really good. I also had a match with Matt Cross that I really enjoyed at Best of the West in Santa Cruz. Um, oh, I got to check that out. I think I figured that you and Matt Cross would be a very good. That was fun. Yeah. 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 Um, he, he actually, <laughs> that was a fun, that was a really fun match. He, that was a great conversation to have with him. That guy. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I just make, I just have the illusion of looking fast. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, cause I'm like, I'm like, all right, let's do this, 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 this. And he's like, how about we do the shoulder tackle and then I backflip. And then we call it the day. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? You might be right. And it's probably going to get the same reaction. So, you know, and that's the kind of like just collaborative and, and there's other things, but yeah, that was a fun match. Man. And that's, that's one of my, you know, that's one of my people. That's one of the people that I grew up watching that I wanted to wrestle. So it was really cool to be able to do that. Um, I had a four way, I think it was a four way match. I believe it was four way match at three to one battle in Seattle was super crazy. That was involved in there. That was really fun. And then another triple threat was super crazy and Steven Trezario at national pro wrestling league. That one was also pretty cool. Um, cause anytime me and Steven are in the, in a ring is, is really fun. Um, there's, there's another good match. Uh, if you look up from not punk slam, punk slam is too old. Petaluma, uh, Phoenix pro wrestling, Phoenix Pro Wrestling, me versus Steven Trezario a little bit earlier in the years. But yeah, go to my YouTube channel, The Kenny K. You should be able to search it. Uh, if you can't find that, The Kenny K Wrestling, that's probably the best way to search it on YouTube. And that should lead you to all the um, good matches. I think I have a section there for my favorite matches or best matches that you can probably peruse through. I remember I was watching a bunch of Phoenix Pro stuff on YouTube. And I was so confused because I was like, wow, they got a lot of NorCal guys here. And the whole time thinking it was Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, wow, this is so weird. They book so many NorCal guys. This is weird. And I was like, oh, it's North Bay. Ah, oh, shit. Okay. Same place and same person that used to run uh, SPW Punk Slam. Okay. If you, remember, if you remember that. And the same location, Phoenix Theater, yeah. Okay. It's like a little, it's like a little skate um Skate venue slash like punk venue is awesome. It's like a really cool ass place. Yeah. Awesome. They have probably one of the best setups they, that I hear in, in the day, I think. Oh, it looks great on the, on the channel. I was like, wow, this yeah. is actually production wise. It looks really nice. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. I have some really good matches there. I do a lot of fun stuff there because they let me fly free sometimes. All right, brother. Thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate you. Thank you, man. Have a good one. 